Welcome to Behind the Brands. So, you found us. <laughs> well done, you. Our little podcast all about the fashion industry. Let me just tell you about the host and the creator of this podcast. The guy's from the UK and his name is Warren Parker Mills. Warren's literally worked with some of the best people in the business and met some incredible brands along the way. Now he feels it's time to kind of do things a little differently. He'll be catching up with amazing storytellers from across the globe as they share some of those unwritten secrets that they've managed to figure out for themselves. From brands you'll recognize to small artisan creators that have mastered their craft. You'll hear about their collections, sales, and their ongoing quest for sustainability. So if you're an aspiring designer, an influencer, or just a massive fan of listening to fascinating conversation, stay right where you are. Hi, welcome to the podcast and welcome to episode number four. This one I hope you're really going to enjoy. Um, But before we start, I just want to ask you a quick question. Did you know that 90% of the world's population can't get access to eyewear? I didn't know that. And this interview really changed my mindset about those types of statistics. So the show is with a gent called John Pritchard. And John's got a brand called Parlor Eyewear. And what's fascinating about this is the fact that John came from the corporate world. He had no experience in manufacturing eyewear. He developed a brand. He's made a difference, and this is his story. And I really, really do hope you enjoy it. He's, he's got a great attitude. He's doing some amazing things. We also find out why John is trying to direct his business to becoming a B Corp business. And we can talk a bit, little bit, you'll hear a little bit more about that within the interview. But the reasons why he feels it's so important for him and his business, and also for potential customers moving forward into the future. So let's get on with the show. Good morning, John. You good? Yeah, morning, Warren. Uh, yes, I am very well. Uh, so I just uh, just come back from the beach or for a swim nice. and um, feeling suitably bedraggled, but quite fresh. <laughs> and where are you? Where's, where did you go for a swim? A couple of minutes walk from Brighton Beach. And okay. I genuinely believe between the hours of seven and eight in the morning, it's the best time yeah. of day to, 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 to get out there and, and, and do some exercise. Yeah. Was there many in the water at that time or not? There was, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of friends. So there's actually about 10 of us. Um, but that aside, there was probably about 30 heads bobbing around in the water. Really? I, uh, wow. Made my way along the front there. Yeah. So it's, it's very nice. Cool. That's really cool. You've got a pebble beach there, right? Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a good thing. <laughs> no, not at seven o'clock in the morning. It's not. So. It's uh, it's quite amusing. Nobody can walk walk the walk when they come out of the sea and up the beach. There's no good walk that you can do. You've got people right. half collapsing as they try. You and... can't style it in any way, shape, no, form, and not right? in any way at all. But on the positive side, you don't get sandy sandwiches. So you know, there's, there's always a flip side to these. There's uh, always these negatives. a positive. Cool. All right. Well, brilliant. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm really pleased that you've come on. And I want to talk to you. I've done a little bit of an intro about what you guys are doing, but I just want to dig a little bit deeper into the way that you operate and, and the good work that you're doing. So can you just give us a little bit of an, a, an overview, kind of the origins of, of, of Parlor Eyewear, John? Yeah, I mean, as a business, we've been running for about four and a half years, but actually it's sort of as a seed of an idea. It's probably been about 10 or 11 years that it was actually... Okay 
kind of first conceived and it's been one of those kind of nice little pet projects that you sort of decide every day job until you decide to sort of cast off and decide, you know, and, and go it alone. Yeah. Um, I was, I've always been in the corporate world uh, to some extent and, um, and it was very comfortable, very enjoyable. It was creative role doing uh, you know, sort of creative solutions for, for other brands, but it, it really lacked that one ingredient for me, which is, which is purpose to, to the work I was doing. All I was sort of, I felt I was just sort of swilling money around the economy, but not actually directly having an impact <laughs> right. on on anything. Yeah, and uh, probably about say ten or eleven year, years ago, we had a, a company conference over in the USA, and one of the guest speakers was Blake Mykowski, founder of Tom Shoes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I kind of when he was talking about the kind of uh, the putting social cause, social impact at the heart of the business. That for me really resonated, and and perhaps if you were to say you know put a line in the sand, it was probably then that I actually felt, okay, I like this. I you know, what if I try and created a business that um, could have impact at the heart of of, of what we do? Um, so yeah, it's been a long it's been a long nurtured baby in that sense, yeah. um, and then you know as as with all businesses. Um, it's been an evolution, and every, you know every time we you know we evolve, we there's something new to discover, and um, and it's just one of these journeys. It's on, you know ongoing, and it's 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 very it's been very exciting, really. Yeah. Um, it's the best thing I've ever done by by a long stretch. Wow, that sounds cool. I mean, he's such an inspiration guy, Blake, isn't he? You know, I mean, his story is phenomenal. I think he's I think he's put kind of sixty million shoes back into the world. Do you know what I mean? Of and and obviously donated those. And obviously, I know there's been from a business perspective. Did you kind of reshape your initial idea on his? obviously giving by product or did you engineer a different mechanic um to be honest it was uh it just it just basically sparked the idea for for creating a a business with social impact so mm. the fact that his watch one for one shoe giving i'm not sure that that was a model i necessarily thought okay i'm gonna go and do that mm. model it was more i was more sort of taken by i've been traveling um lucky enough to travel a number of times in africa various countries in my early 20s yeah uh, and really kind of um kind of engaged with the you know the, the whole the beauty of the landscape the cultures the people that i met and i also learned about the issue around eye care and that you know um 90 yeah, percent of the world's population can't get access to eye care and in fact in in parts of africa this is this is far far higher people just don't access eye care like we can just walk out the mm. walk out the house and normally find an optician, um, and yeah, for me that was that was kind of the the you know there's a simple bit of math in that, and I thought you know a pair of spectacles is arguably one of the most um, uh, effective poverty alleviating tools that you can give someone, mm. and um, you know for me it was okay here's a here's a, a cause let me now try and think of a way of bringing um, visibility to that cause. Mm um and it was kind of marketing what well, I've, I've been in a marketing role uh previously and it was for me it was sort of marketing 101 well if i want to leverage change in eye care then why not try and create an eyewear brand to to do that so yes wow uh, in, in some some respects mimicking the, the thomas model shoes for shoes eye care for, for eye care um but it wasn't necessarily why i sort of you know sort of set that up from the start um, you know, I came from a background of having no, <laughs> some people have got no, say I've got no fashion sense, uh, <laughs> which I'm inclined to agree with. <laughs> Certainly don't have much fashion sense and, and even less uh, 
kind of knowledge of the eyewear market. So yeah. I really came from a position of, of no knowledge, um, which maybe stood me in good stead because the eyewear market is so, so competitive. Yeah. I think if I maybe tried to, to go, you know, if I'd been within that industry to start with, I think um, fear of the competition and just how difficult it is to launch a brand mm. would have maybe helped me back or withdraw me from even, you know, t- participating. So having a sort of a naivety and entering into into the market mm. um, probably actually did me some benefit. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting, actually. So you, was, you basically sat in this conference, you heard, obviously, Blake do his thing, and then you thought, right, okay, there's, there's a great cause there, there's, a, there's a, a nucleus of an idea, I'm going to go on and I'm going to develop that idea. So having that thought process is, is fine, John, but like you've just alluded to there, how on earth did you start going about kind of creating everything, the brand and sourcing, and how did you, how did you even contemplate where to start yeah it was uh <laughs> it was certainly tricky trying to find people in the eyewear industry who could kind of you know sort of give me a hand but to be honest the friend of a friend kind of network does really work and um i kind of just i did just network a lot um and and use that to my advantage so and eventually you find someone who's an eyewear designer you find someone who you know runs a logistics company you find someone who's got some sort of you know uh, consultancy and retail um uh, business so yeah. you gradually you accumulate these kind of people around you um and you know they're not you know i'm not saying every single person I, i've or business i've come across has been the right one for me uh, going forward mm. but you kind of again it's one of these you know these learning curves you kind of um you, you get a sense of what feels good for you and and you know i'd say even now i'm four and a half five years of trading in and i'm still learning which you know which which business to work with yeah like for, like, for last three years i've gone through three warehouses you know right. to try and get that right warehouse to work for me and now i really feel like i've got the right one working for me and mm. you know these things don't happen overnight and, yeah. and it's one of the things you have to have um, a lot of patience um, you know, don't be hard on yourself if, if, if you haven't got it right from the start because as you say you're coming from an area that, where you have got no experience and you have to wear so many hats in the business you know um, we're not just talking about the sunglasses side you know yeah. trademark and say logistics and finance all these sort of things that in my previous job I didn't have to worry about mm-hmm. I just had to come up with ideas yeah um, and I guess that that's the one thing you kind of end up sacrificing I'm, I'm, I'm sort of I was always quite a creative thinking person and that sort of gets pushed behind a little bit because you're, you're, you're focusing on, on the other sort of trades of, of what you have to learn um, within your business. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a business of scale that you can just say, right, I'll hire them in and hire, you know, hire them in from over there. Yeah. It doesn't happen like that. You, you have to have conversations and try and learn and take on that yourself. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, hopefully we'll get to a point when I can bring in someone that can, you know, help with the accounts. And I mean, yes, I have an accountant, but it'd be great to have a bookkeeper. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So I can keep on top of stuff. Um, that, that's the challenge, isn't it? And again, hopefully some of the listeners can can kind of connect with that because it is one of those things, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're doing it for yourself, if you, especially if you've come from a bigger company, from a corporate side, you know, there's normally a marketing department and accounts department and HR and legal and all those other wonderful tools that you just literally push the paper across the desk and it gets done. But when it's on your desk and it needs to get done, sometimes that can be a bit overwhelming, can't it? So, um, and what about the brand then, John? How did you come up with the with the brand name? So, um, 
you know, a lot of what we do goes back to Africa in one one way or another. Um, and I'm sure we'll go on to that. Um, yeah. But essentially, uh, I wanted the name to also kind of have a, a resonance. And so Parla is actually a deriv- derivation from Impala, uh, which is oh, okay. the native African antelope. Um, I didn't want to call the name of a brand Impala for obvious reasons, but Parla was a... Again, it's marketing convention 101. It's kind of just sort of keeping it simple, easy to remember, um, and easy to say. Um, yeah. Although I do get quite a lot of variations. There's Haller, <laughs> et cetera. So it, it doesn't always work. But um, yeah, it's just a good, short, snappy uh, name for the brand. And yeah, it's uh, we tested it quite rigorously at the start and it's it stood us in good stead yeah there's a lot to be said about getting that brand name correct from the from the offset isn't it especially when you've got a product that can potentially go across men's women kids you know into accessories into clothing you know it can just evolve can't it and getting that right from the from the start is so important so um Again, the normal kind of process, if you were from the fashion industry, is kind of building up this persona of before you obviously go to brand and you go to launch and you start looking and talking to factories and suppliers and such forth. Did you ever go through that process, John, in the early days of kind of working out who your customer was? And if so, has that changed in any way over the last few years? So I kind of, I guess what I was looking for were people with that same mindset as myself which was people looking for a solution in which they felt they could have an impact um uh, in in their fashion and so yeah the conscious consumer i guess was uh what i was what i was looking for um and you know which is great and i feel like they're the early adopters in this this whole Mm. piece it won't necessarily, you know, it, it, commercially speaking, it's not a large enough cohort for me to, to to work with. So the evolution has to be that actually as a brand, you know, it's for me to try and convert those that perhaps aren't really conscious consume, consumers. Yeah. Um, want a nice pair of sunglasses so we compete on that level. And then it's kind of that reveal at the end. Oh, and by the way, you've done this, that and the other through the purchase of your, your sunglasses. So certainly yeah. we need to be more in a kind of, I don't know, the everyday sphere of where people shop rather than just focusing on sort of, you know, these um, sites that are, that are ethical, et cetera. Um, yeah. People have got to discover us by chance as well. Um, and that's how you reach the mass market. It's how, you know, brands like Vaja and, 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 and the like have been so successful is, you know, being in office and offspring, you know, they wouldn't necessarily, you wouldn't call those necessarily uh sustainable um shops but by being in there I, I i guarantee that a lot of people buying their shoes probably didn't know Vasia were a sustainable foot bra- footwear brand yeah, yeah. But they get that lovely reveal when they open the box and they read about it they've got that kind of oh right okay this is cool as well yeah so you know that's probably the the kind of evolution whereas i probably focus quite a lot on just kind of a, a conscious consumer at the start um it's expanded uh, a lot more now to to you know reaching out to to the masses and and actually if, if we're looking at the bigger picture here of, of trying to to you know uh sort of do good for the planet we need to be getting the sort of the mass market on board with conscious fashion too um, yeah so it's important, important yeah. evolution yeah no absolutely i couldn't agree more with that john absolutely right so trying to get out to a bigger audience obviously the key initially for the hook is a great product and what in your opinion makes a really good pair of glasses would you say 
Um, well, it's, it's, it's got to be really style and substance. I mean, style is a very personal, personal thing, mm. um, obviously. So to each person, you know, a pair of frames is going to be, you know, they're going to like a pair of frames uh, different from the next person. And, 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 you know, don't forget we're in a market where there is a finite number of frames. So in terms of choice, one frame can look very similar to the other. So I think what makes a frame really good is to create one that is still able to distinguish itself from others in the market it might not be a big thing and it won't be a big thing because you know that's probably been done but for me impala what i'm trying to do is create styles that feel uniquely parlor so i want people to feel like they can't see they don't see that frame anywhere else got you um it doesn't mean we have to do anything wacky it means we just do frames that um you know there's a there's some detailing on it or something similar to that that will will mean that people can sort of identify and say, yeah, that's a parlor frame. So that side of it is really important. And then obviously materials, you know, you live or die by your materials. And a really important thing, again, if we're looking at sustainability is to produce a pair of sunglasses that last you, you know, years and years rather than a season. And, um, you know, the materials are key to that. And I'm sure you've got listeners who have got a pair of sunglasses that have lasted a couple of months and, and they'll, they'll break. Yeah. And it's really important that, that, you know, we don't produce a pair that, that, that do that. And so you do need to go to the best manufacturers, um, which often is, is, you know, materially tends to come from Italy. Yeah. Um, but it's down to the metal work as well, the screws, so your hinges, you know, last and, and the lenses as well. Um, so it's, you know, something that I guess, yeah, if we're looking at what makes a great pair of glasses, it's something that is distinguishable, mm-hmm. uh, in the right way, not, not, not distinguishable because they look like t- Timmy Mallet glasses, <laughs> sunglasses, um, but also materially, you know, materially really sound and will last you, you know, four or five years. And, you know, um, and, and ideally when you go to replace them, you, you know where to go to replace them and, and you can find that similar, similar pair too. And this is all about becoming more seasonless with our styles as well. Yeah. Um, I guess it might be a question you have for me later, but one of the things uh, right from the start, we wanted to make an impact uh, in terms of our styles and thought, you know, let's do some interesting styles for the influencers. Mm. But you kind of find that people like to see the influencers in them, but when they come to buy them, they kind of want to buy the one down from what the influences, you know, they want to buy the one that just looks good on their face and not the one that's a bit more out there. Yeah. So I kind of, the revolution in the last couple of years has certainly seen our collection move more towards timeless pieces, um, but very, very much you know, on this season, seasonless kind of vibe. Mm. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of launch sunglasses now um, throughout the year as opposed to just being, here we are with spring, let's just launch a new collection. Yeah, we want people to feel like you know you buy a pair of sunglasses when you need them, and uh, yeah, so that's 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 definitely a, something that we've kind of um, in the last couple of years at least uh, we've learnt um, and we've decided you know this is this is definitely where our collection needs to go, and you'll see as well even with the colorways that we do we're kind of they're sort of colorways that are derived more from nature. So you might not see sort of bright oranges and, and, and bright yellows, but we'll, yeah. we, we've certainly got colorways that, you know, are sort of slightly more organic in their, in their appearance. Um, and that's not to say we, you know, we don't have got a couple of pinks in there and all that kind of stuff too. It's important to have the variation and mm. you do get such colors in nature too. So it's, you know, it's, we're not, we're not dulling down the, the collection to make it feel like, Oh, it's quite mundane. It's, it's, it's still a, it still has a lot of variety in there in terms of colorways and and even let's say going back to the, 
the previous que question, you know, we hope that our styles also are, are progressive um, and, and kind of really connect with people and, and feel like it's, it's a piece that, you know, is uniquely parlor. Yeah, that's cool. That's really good. So, I mean, obviously for the, for the listeners out there, it's not just sunglasses, is it? You do kind of prescription um, frames as well, don't you? And, and what, what is the percentage of the business there? Is, is that a growing market or is that not? <laughs> Um, well, actually, yeah. So, prescription side of it, we don't. We do do a little bit with uh, directly with opticians. Yeah. Um, I'm looking in the next couple of months to bring some of those prescri prescription frames onto the website. So, yes, it is again an evolution. There's no reason for why we can't do that. A lot of our frames are, um, you know, our sun frames you can use for prescription lenses anyway. So, if yeah. you wanted to, you could take them into an optician and say, oh, "I just actually want prescription lenses in," or prescription sunglasses lens but um yeah we, i mean for me we've got some really nice you know some of our sunglasses really translate well into prescription frames so yeah later this year we'll we'll, we'll effectively sell the, the the sunglasses with with blank lenses we're potentially looking at blue light lenses as well as a potential um option and, and maybe we will go into um prescription lenses too uh, at some point yeah. um it's something we're still debating at the moment but it's so it's in terms of percentage of the business it's it's, it's tiny yeah okay um we're very much uh, still focused on the sunglasses side of the business um you know the, the only big difference between sunglasses and, and maybe uh, optical lenses sunglasses you're forever trying to chase the sun around the globe so. <laughs> As, as we get to this time of year, I'm sort of starting to look across over to Australia yeah. and the sort of US Sun Belt and sort of seeing what they're up to and, and trying to get more more push out uh, push out to those regions. Yeah. Is there any particular nation that's kind of adopted what you're doing in any any particular way, John? Do you know what I mean? Is there any? Yeah. I don't know, is it Scandi or is it or is it, I don't know, the um, US or where, where do you think the growth is? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, outside of the UK, I mean, our biggest market is obviously the UK, but uh, our second largest is the US. Mm. And I think to some extent that might be precipitated by that sort of whole Tom's model, Warby Parker, some yeah. other big brands out there. Um, I feel like they were slightly on that curve a bit earlier. So that kind of conscious consumer kind of element may may have been over in the US you know, predating us by five, five, ten years maybe. Mm. And I think they've kind of grown up on that sort of um, – sort of social entrepreneurship or, or brands that are putting social cause at, at the heart. So, and, and so I have, you know, I haven't really promoted the U S but it makes up about 25% of our sales. Um, right, okay. And we've got a number of stockists out there. Um, and if we were to look at Europe, funnily enough, Germany is um, probably our, our biggest market. Yeah. And again, I think Germany, they do a lot of the big uh, sort of eco trade yeah. fairs and yeah. sustainable fashion yeah. fairs at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Again, I just think they're, they're, if there's a European country that's kind of slightly more progressive in terms of that whole uh, sustainable sort of story, I think Germany feels like that, that is the country. Yeah, I agree, actually. I mean, I've worked for various kind of eco-friendly or, my, you know, that kind of mindset. And Germany's always been a really strong um, player in, in the mix there. So uh, I think yeah. you're right. So obviously we've covered off kind of product there. And that's been brilliant. I'm really fascinated in... In how you manage that remotely, I mean, do you have people over in Africa that kind of project manage the way that you work? How, how does that work? Yeah, so th this is really important for me because, you know, as a business, um, transparency is key. And um, yeah, it, it's so f f the way we work is that we actually work with partners to, to make the change. So. In fact, the very first meeting I had, even before I'd even thought about what I was doing as a, as a business, was, was uh, 
with a charity quite local to here, Vision Aid Overseas. Mm -hmm. uh, and they work uh, across uh, five countries uh, in Africa. So Ethiopia, uh, Zambia, Ghana, uh, Burkina Faso, um, etc. And I went to them and said, look, I've, you know, I want to create a product. And from that product, I want to have impact. Um, but I want to, you know, I want to have genuine impact. So if I'm going to give money to, to yourselves, I want this to be ring fence as grant money to a project. So I can turn around to our, our customers and say, this yeah. is what we've achieved through the sale yeah. of our eyewear. So yeah, look, Vision Aid overseas do all the, all the stuff on the ground. So we kind of, you know, we're jumping onto their kind of their teams effectively. Um, and that's, that's been a really, uh, you know, um, it, it takes out a lot of a complication. There's no way, mm. you know, me as a business could or I as a business or parlor as a business could, could have logistically have people out there doing, uh, sort of giving programs. It's very technical. Mm. You need to get on, you know, there's local NGOs, there's government departments, all that kind of, uh, logistics that is needed in order to, to implement, uh, any of these programs. So vision aid overseas are, you know, the front line for doing all that. And then, yeah, I, I get visibility on the on the projects uh, that we're involved in. So, you know, we in 2018, uh, we did a project in Zambia. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, this is a country that until 2015 um, only had um, something like two, two optometrists uh, for, the, for the whole country. Um, God, and, wow. you know, that's a country that's it's substantially bigger than the UK. I think it's got something like 17 million people. So, you know, you're not going to get many uh, eye tests out of that. But the, no. the good thing is, is that, you know, more recently, they have now got 52 optometrists. So you can see a clear mm. increase in that. And that's because Vision Aid overseas are providing this kind of infrastructure. So it's about, you know, it's not a sticking plaster solution. It's about training and, and all these kind of things. Um so, you know, we're seeing some great change there. But what we did in 2018 was help or we provided the funding for refurbishing a vision centre. And that vision yeah. centre is in full use. It's in a place called Chinsali and it serves a region of around 75,000 people. Um, so, again, it's it's, you know, we're not necessarily just dropping prescription glasses in, in places. It's saying look, we're, we're going to pay for the refurbishment of this and for the next three years, uh, you know, we're going to be covering the costs involved with this this vision centre. You know, the local government will be providing um, the employment uh, through and, and vision aid overseas. So it all comes mm. together in, in, in quite you know in, in quite a nice way, and and that's how we tell it on the website. You know, we yeah. say this is how we spend your money, and it's like with uh, our case, our case makers in Ghana. So again, we work with a, an NGO called Care for Basket, and you know we work directly with them. That NGO is is based only about ten miles away from me uh, right. from Brighton, so yeah. which is which is very convenient. Um, but it's very important that it's you know from my point of view that I go out there and see this work uh, in action. So I was out in Ghana, uh, gosh, a year before last. Now time flies, but mm. you know it was really important that I met the three or four weaving communities that we work with that make yeah. our cases because it's yeah. about it's about building trust. Um, you know, unfortunately, these communities have have been uh, taken advantage of in the past by other European visitors, and mm. there is a lack of trust. And I wanted to go over there, meet communities, and and uh, you know, talk with them and and, and learn and, and understand how we're 
helping, but also where potentially we can help in the future. So, and also I've been on the projects to, to Ethiopia um, outreach project there. And, and, and again, I've been to Zambia as well. So, you know, it, it does, you know, I'm not sort of sat behind my laptop, just sort of yeah. sending emails. Detracted, it's, really, yeah. it's getting out there and, and, and telling those stories and, and say, we've got a, a, a Vimeo page that, that kind of does tell those stories. And it's, it's mm. for me, it's as important to have that than it is the product. It's, I want people to understand what we're, what, what, what the change is being made. Through, yeah. through you know through purchasing our product yeah and how connected are you with with some of the recipients of, of the good work of you do they contact you i mean are they allowed to contact you do they contact you directly i mean what's the relationship does that <laughs> does that develop ongoing or is it yeah kind of, with, well with the eye with the eye care patients that's that's very hard because you know i you know eye care patients come in and, and they have their eye tests and, and and they take some spectacles and they go and yeah. you know there is no communication in that sense um it's not like you know they haven't got phones and you know it's it's not something that we can really monitor on that level i've been to projects where i've seen people in outreach projects receive a pair of um spectacles etc but yeah and, and you know there's obviously some PPR stuff as well you know you've got to be very careful about what sort of data you're pulling and, and etc so mm-hmm. that for the for the recipients of glasses that is a hard one to to do um However, for the weavers, for example, um, out there, uh, I made sure we asked permission in local language. So, look, we want to take some photos. Uh, we'd also like to um, uh, take a photo of each weaver with, and, and we'll put a name alongside each one yeah. so that actually people who buy our sunglasses or, or the cases or get the cases of the sunglasses on each case is a tag of a weaver that made your case. And then you can go on and, and see the person, the actual person that made your case. Um, cool. So we're connecting in that sense. Uh, that's that's I think a really important connection. And actually, from the weavers' point of view, they what they they feel very proud of the fact that yeah. somebody might see a photo of them uh, and, and and is using their case. Um, and we also get anecdotal information. You know, we, we've had lots of stories of, you know, uh, somebody uh, was able to buy a bike, which meant rather than walk seven miles to get water every day, they could cycle there. Um, other people it's it's simply a case of having enough money to be able to afford hospital fees um yeah. which you know we, we again we take for granted you know in school fees we take that for granted a lot here in the uk and and out there it costs money and and you know it's it's about with weavers we pay them twice for the, the, the minimum wage uh, at least twice the minimum wage and it's about empowering them out of poverty or helping them to empower themselves out of out of poverty mm. um and allowing giving them that extra bit of income to actually spend on on other other areas of their life um so and, and <laughs> i think it was what a couple of months ago or no back in gosh march now um uh, the, the guy that runs the ngo was out there in ghana and i suddenly got a whatsapp video call come through mm-hmm. and he was he was with all the weavers and he suddenly um, i'm on a video call with all, the, all these weavers and he's passing the phone around and you know, a bit of a language barrier. We were just sort of laughing and smiling and shouting at each other, but it was it was quite funny. I think I was in a, I think I wasn't in a meeting, but I wasn't in a place where I could really be shouting about too much. <laughs> he wasn't but in I the thought, sea, This, this moment's going to go, so I, I made yeah. the most of it. And I was, yeah, the phone was passed around, and I said, "Oh, when are you going to come back again?" All this stuff. So it was really nice. And yeah. again, it's a connection with with the community. It's really important for them. They want to know that I'm on board with them and and, and mm. likewise i want to see that they're you know enjoying the work and, and, yeah and, and, and you know in that short three minute call it was a snapshot but it was a lovely little snapshot 
Yeah. I mean, it sounds amazing, John. It really does. And I think there's probably a lot of listeners to the podcast who are listening to this, who have got an idea and think, actually, I want to try and do something which is creative and also put some good back into the world from an environmental perspective or from a sustainability perspective. So what advice would you give somebody who, similar to you, when you were sat at that conference, when you were looking at Blake and listening to his words, what advice would you give to someone that wants to do something along those lines? I mean, you know, and again, maybe it's a slightly entrepreneurial sort of mindset, but, you know, just don't be afraid to have a go. And um, it, it did take me a long time to to set up. And, uh, you know, I certainly made some mistakes um, along the way. Uh, but as long as you don't make big mistakes, <laughs> you know, you're going to be yeah. OK. And you've got to have a lot of patience. Um you know, it's 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 this is 11 years effectively in my head, at least. And whilst we've only been around maybe for four and a half, um, mm. it's been a long time. And and even now, we, you know, we, we I, 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 you know, we're still gaining traction, but we're, we're certainly not the finished article out there. Yeah. Um, and I just think, you know, if you've got an idea, do your research on that. I mean, I say that. I didn't really do my research on the island market. <laughs> I just went for it gung ho. But, mm. you know, I. I but again, maybe that was, you know, that was uh, illustrative of the fact that because I took that sustainable approach is why I've survived. So actually, if you have a very good sustainable idea and you're in an industry which maybe isn't doing something sustainably, then actually that could be uh, that could be the niche that you could find. And, uh, and yeah, um, no, my advice would be to to, to really uh, yeah take your time, find find out what you, you really uh what really motivates you? It's got to be something. Bizarrely, obviously, I wasn't really into sunglasses or eyewear when I first started off. It just wasn't my thing. You know, I probably didn't even own a pair. But hmm. the motivation for me was the impact. And if you've got something yes. that you're really passionate about and, and and you can see the change, you know it's happening. That is the biggest driver you know, to get you out of bed every morning. I, if for me, it's like every day. It sounds like a cliche, but every day I get up, I'm really excited about hitting the laptop because I know that I'm, I'm, I'm doing something positive or there's purpose in my work. Um, yeah. And I think when you put that into your, into your, you know, as part of your, whatever it is you want to do, you're, you're so motivated. And, and the fact that, you know, some days are going to be hard days, it doesn't matter um, because the ultimate big goal is, is, is still progressing in the right direction. So I think, yeah, it, I think it's, um, yeah, that, that's probably the, the, the main uh, thing I would say. I say be patient and uh yeah patience a good idea and building a, a good circle of contacts around you and you'll be really surprised i think you'll you'll find that if you're trying to do a business where doing good is at the foundation of what you want to do people will will be very keen to help as much as possible um yeah. that you know they want you to succeed so it's different from being in the corporate world where business was, you know, <laughs> us versus them or whatever, yeah. you know, and sales is very aggressive. People will give you their time to, to, to help you along. And, and to, so that's something to remember. And so it can make things a lot easier. And a lot of the conversations, you know, I have when we maybe do pop-ups and stuff, you know, we have, we start collaborating more. It's very collaborative yeah. and, yeah. and people are say are looking out for you because they want you to do well. Cause they're all part of this bigger, I don't know, of doing good for in, in a greater, greater extent. Yeah. 
That's amazing. That's that's awesome, John. Um, and what about for next year? What's what's kind of uh, obviously we're going well. We're midway through 2020. It's been a difficult year, um, that's for sure. Um, obviously, you've not been able to get out anywhere really and and go and kind of check on things, whether it's Italy or Africa or anywhere else in the world that you tend to go. So, what's what's the kind of business objectives for next year, John? Um, well, at the moment we are. Um, working on our b corp so that's really cool. important um yeah. and for those that don't know what a, a b corp status is it's basically a certification uh which which kind of judges or, or a certification based on your kind of environmental and social impact as a business um it's a it's very detailed it takes a long time to to do um but ultimately, I think it's it's going to be one of these certifications because there's a lot of certifications a lot across lots of sites. And actually, as a small business, being you know being certified in lots of different you know strands is actually really hard and it's expensive. Yeah. Um, but I feel a B Corp is almost a catch-all and 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 kind of allows you to be good in some areas, maybe not so good in other areas. Because actually, as a business, you, you you're focused for good, but you know there's there's the detail they go into. It's you know. Who hosts your servers? Are your yeah. are your servers uh, carbon neutral? It's it's that yeah. kind of detailed, and um, it's a scoring system. And if you get to eighty points, then or above, then you are becoming a you become a, a certified B Corp. And I think there's around about three and a half thousand in the world at the moment. Uh, the likes of Patagonia, for example, uh, yeah. are are one, and and Finisterre, another great brand from the southwest yeah. of the UK, and. I think at the moment it's it's really good within the B2B community. I think businesses are looking at other B Corps and thinking, right, okay, well, you know, perhaps we'll work with these guys because they're already a B Corp. And it's almost like a it's almost a bit slightly Masonic in the sense that, you know, you're kind of you're part of a, a group and, 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 and kind of giving you access, uh, you know, or, or giving you better advantages because you may get the possibility to work with with other other great B Corps. But I yeah. think more importantly, I think in the next four or five years, because I really do think this thing will 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 bloom i think the the kind of the whole b corp thing will become more mainstream within the consumer world and i think consumers will start to understand the benefits of b corp working or buying off a b corp company yeah and i think i think that will i well i mean my hope is it becomes the de facto kind of certification for when someone's buying something they think all oh, right it's a b corp good okay i know what i'm doing you know i know that company has been really nice you know really well um investigated so yeah. i'm comfortable yeah. buying from them it takes away yeah. a lot of legwork for a consumer, which is which is which is often the a main issue. Is you know consumers want to know about the transparency. How long does that take to kind of um, kind of put your application in and kind of go through that process, John? Does it vary, or is it pretty much kind of? Um, I think it, it well, it's it's down to capacity, really. Um, mm, yeah. But you know, to say I probably started in mid Feb, and uh, I'm hoping within the next four or five weeks we should um get there but yeah. you know there's at the moment there's a three-month waiting list effectively uh from your application so we applied back in well, our application went in uh sort of july time mm. um which is good because it's testament to the fact that so many other brands or yeah. companies are now wanting to apply to become a b corp so there's a, there is a real momentum behind it and simply they have a backlog and they're just trying to work through that backlog 
Yeah. I mean, I had um, Cressy from Elvis and Cressy on uh, yeah. on the podcast and uh, we talked a little bit about B Corp and it really does. And for any of the listeners there, just Google B Corp or go on YouTube and listen to some of the speakers there, because honestly, some of the things they're coming out with is just truly inspirational, really is. And um, I think you're right. I think there will be a, a consumer acknowledgement of those types of businesses and it will be not a stamp of approval because that sounds a little bit kind of corporate, but it will definitely be a an emotional stamp, shall we say, that I think people will make a little bit more of a discerning purchase, you know, on the back of, of those companies. So that's cool. Great. Well, it's been fascinating, John. Absolutely fascinating. We've dug into product. We've dug into distribution. We've talked about all the great stuff you're doing. So how can our listeners um, contact you, John? How can they get in touch with you? Uh, well, me, me personally, or and the brand? Wait, <laughs> give away my home address. Them. <laughs> um, yeah, so no. from a brand point of view, that um, come on, have a look at the website. Uh, yeah. Really, just go, look at our story first and foremost. I, I, yeah. You know, when I send people to the website, I want people to connect with the story first um, mm. and understand where we're headed there. And there's more to come from that. You know, uh, in the next, well, we've just launched actually um, for the at least for the UK. Uh, effectively a return scheme so every time we send that pair of sunglasses uh yeah. we 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 send an envelope if, if requested and we'll take back any of your old frames not not you know it doesn't have to be a part of frame it could be any spectacle or sunglass frame. Cool. We'll take three of those yeah. back and then yeah. that goes back to our warehouse and then that gets fully uh, uh recycled through TerraCycle, who we work with as a partner so again you know so we're trying to become more circular in in that yeah. space too um but sorry, I deviated from the, from the question. But so come to the website uh, and certainly check us out on the website. Our Instagram, obviously, is at Parlor Eyewear. And I guess finally, I would say maybe um, come and have a look at our Vimeo page, which is obviously vimeo.com uh, yeah. forward slash Parlor Eyewear, because there's, that's where the storytelling is. And there's one video on there in particular, which is probably my, my proudest video. Uh, I was on stage about, I don't know, six months ago presenting it and I started crying before I presented it <laughs> it's a bit of a strange moment I mean, you know, when you, it's a bit when you're kind of a bit sort of jumpy crying and you couldn't quite get your words out it's like oh, what do I do somebody come up and help me here um, yeah oh, but it was funny. it was because it, to me it kind of it, it kind of um, so close yeah it, it just for me it was what I've always wanted to do with a brand and actually what that video tells it tells us the, the story of the weavers um in ghana through through jib hagan who is the the man that actually runs the ngo uh how his 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 story behind uh his passion for recycling plastic uh, and how actually is an issue um it's it's actually proving to be a solution um mm. so where the where the weavers work in in Bulgatanga in ghana climate change has meant that the, the the elephant grass that they would normally use um as a substrate has has diminished and it's moved you know a couple of hours further down 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 country so yeah the weavers would have to get on a bus maybe travel a couple of hours be exposed unfortunately to to dangers of, of traveling alone and also going out to the bush to to harvest grass mm. so actually by providing them recycled plastic which is what we use from recycled plastic bags and and um discarded water sachets we provide that to them at you know at their location at their home where well of a tree they all kind of weave under trees which is all really nice um <laughs> but we provide it to them so they, they they're not exposed to those issues and actually it means that they actually have a substrate albeit pla- you know recycled plastic albeit plastic yeah but it is something that is allowing them to stay within their communities and not having to to move out you know move their communities to follow 
you know the effects of climate change so yeah and and there's hope actually there's hope a real story of hope and there's a there's a video on there it's called wealth not a waste and you know if there's one thing if there's one takeout today i'd ask you is go and visit that video and, and have, and a, have a look at it and <laughs> it's not about parlor it's not about sunglasses it's just yeah. an important story and uh, that i wanted to get across amazing definitely check that out everyone if you're listening to this so uh, i will certainly uh fill my eyes with some tears no doubt so all's good all's good well that's brilliant john i really appreciate it and i do wish you all the best mate i really do i think you you're doing a sterling job and i know it's difficult um especially in these times to kind of get the brand out there and get your messaging across but your product looks great i have to say it looks really really strong and uh, yeah i just wish you and the team there continued success so all the best pleasure and, uh, thank you yeah, very much thanks for coming on mate appreciate it take care Cheers. So that was John from Parlour Eyewear. Hope you enjoyed that, guys. Um, I would like to say a big thanks to Rebecca. And Rebecca's one of John's team for setting up the interview. Uh, thank you, Rebecca. I hope you also enjoyed it as well. And I'm going to leave some details in the show notes for everybody about the video that John talked about. The video is called Wealth Not Waste. It's on vimeo.com forward slash parlor eyewear. It's a great video. It's five and a half minutes long. It's very powerful, very inspirational. And it's a wonderful story about a guy called Jib Hagen. So please, please go and have a look at that. It's brilliant. Next time, we talk to a gent called Luke May. And Luke is the key account manager for the Heritage Jeans brand Wrangler. And what's really nice about this one is we talk to Luke about his job, the day-to-day, the responsibilities, how he gets on with things, campaigns and everything else about working with a big brand such as Wrangler. Um, Luke's a very passionate guy. He really enjoys his job and he also gives us a little bit of a snippet of what's happening next year with the Wrangler brand. So if you're interested in understanding a little bit more from a sales point of view about how brands go to market, stick around for that one. Until then, bye for now. Behind the Brands was brought to you in association with beforestores.com. Go check it out. You can discover new brands, meet the makers and their products before they go into stores. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to leave us a review. We'd really appreciate your feedback. You can also subscribe for future episodes by tapping the follow button wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, keep learning, keep listening, and keep creative.